I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. We are broadcasting from Chicago's stunningly beautiful Millennium Park, although we're kind of like in a cinder block bunker beneath the park right now. <laughs> Joined today by Bon Appetit's senior editor, Julia Kramer, and Chicago's own Julia Kramer. You're back. That's me, Chicago born and bred. Former Time Out restaurant critic here? Yes, I worked for Time Out Chicago for five years. So. Did, you, did you ever write about our special guest, Rick Bayless? I reviewed Shoko. Yeah. When it first opened. I remember that. I loved it. Did you did you honestly write a good review of Shoko when it opened? Yes. Oh, yeah. She did. I mean, four-star sandwich shop. Yeah. Wow. We were very honored by that. Do you, so as a, as a chef, do you remember things like this, like every little review and stuff? And Only bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I don't tend to go into that very much. So um, I, I, I read my press sort of at a distance. Um, I don't read every word of a review. I usually have all my people read every word of every review, I'm and t- then they sort of talk to me about it. We're talking um, about the Rick Bayless entourage? Because I can, <laughs> yes, the entourage. <laughs> that makes it seem like a completely different world that I live in. But um, uh, I, I tend to be obsessive, and so um, it's better for me not to read every word of yeah. every review. I like, like to look at the pictures that are there, the headlines, the yeah. stars, you know, and then I'll glance through the review and then hand it off to somebody else and say, go through every detail of it and tell me if there's anything in there I really need to know. For those listeners out there who are not Rick Bayless uh, aficionados, I'm just going to read your, your own description on your um, very fun <laughs> Instagram feed, Rick underscore Bayless. Um, chef, Frontera, Topolo, Shoko, nine cookbooks, Mexico, One Plate at a Time, Season 10, Top Chef Masters winner, awarded Mexico's Order of Aztec Eagle, and Yoga Dude. <laughs> and you, dude. you have a very, what is that pose that he's doing right there, Julia? Do you know? Ashtavakrasana. <laughs> I think he said it better than I could. Ashtavakrasana, it's eight limb pose is the way that it's translated. It's one of those things, it looks like you're levitating in it. It does, right? yeah. it does. That's why I put it on there, because it's one of those really impressive poses that for me is not that hard to do, but it looks really cool. And this bio is missing Cascabel. It is missing Cascabel. I, well, you know, you're only allowed so many characters. Cos- uh, Cascabel is a dinner theater production you've put on. Yeah, I hate it when people call it dinner theater because it was theater <laughs> with a dinner. But it was, I mean, when you say dinner theater, everybody thinks of Man of La Mancha and that, you know, the, the buffet that you yeah. went through and you're eating the creme brulee as somebody's Very 1982. Singing. All of that. And this was not, this was the story of a meal. And the entire audience got to eat the meal along with the actors because that meal takes up the entire production. And at the end of it, you have consumed something that has a huge story to it and has really um, affected people's lives in different ways. So you got to react to it. So I was doing my homework this morning at Intelligentsia Coffee, and there was a great piece in Eater Chicago last year. Is Rick Bayless the most interesting man in the world? Um, <laughs> Maybe the most varied interest guy. <laughs> Where do you find the energy and the focus to accomplish all this? Because just, you know, from the restaurants, and you also do a ton with charity. Um, mm-hmm. You're traveling, uh, TV shows, nine cookbooks, and then you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stage a play. Like, well, what, what made you think you could do that? So, so my biggest passion outside of food is theater. And um, I, our family is all theater people. I started out in theater. My wife has a master's in theater. My daughter graduated from NYU in the theater department. And so that really makes up a, a bulk of what we do outside of the food things. So you felt that your daughter and, and wife were kicking your ass and you needed to... I needed get. to do something, yeah. <laughs> and I had had this dream of doing a 
uh, live theater production that included food. I, I went to one that was done here by at, by Timeline with sort of the history of Julia Child in the early years when she went to France. And I found it so incredibly frustrating because they were eating all this amazing food on the stage and they were talking about it. And at the end of the show... I was less moved and more starving, and I decided that I wanted to do something that would be more um, an opportunity to integrate all that food into the production. Um, but unfortunately, everybody started off the descriptions of the production as, this is really interesting dinner theater, <laughs> and that was not what I was looking for. More dinner and theater. It's dinner and theater. Theater and with some food. Joy, you grew up in Chicago ultimately worked at Time at Chicago as a, as a restaurant critic. From a, a, a kid who was interested in restaurants, what was Rick's reputation to you as a youngster? Oh, legendary. I mean, Frontera Grill opened in 1987. 87, yes. And so that was a year after I was born. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> you feel so old right I, now. Sorry. I'm, I'm feeling old, and Rick is even feeling older. <laughs> so, I mean, that existed my whole life. I mean, I couldn't imagine... Chicago without that. And I remember, now correct me if I'm wrong on this, but when I was growing up, Frontera Grill felt almost like the best possible neighborhood restaurant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a destination place for for people, but you could you could get a reservation there. Mm -hmm. And then I remember when I was working at Time Out and you won Top Chef Masters mm -hmm. and it just went insane. It went insane. Maybe that was just because I was eating out more in the city, but I felt mm -hmm. like that was kind of a turning point. It was for um, just the crush of people because everybody wanted, you know, when you win something like that, the truth is that people treat you like the, some great sports person. And the food world is really quite different than the sports world. And once I had done that, you know, I couldn't even walk down the street without people sort of thronging around me or leaning out of their car windows and hollering at me and <laughs> in positive ways, not bad ways, but in positive ways. But you couldn't even get close to the restaurant because the the people would crush in there. They would start lining up at 3.30 and 4 in the afternoon mm -hmm. to get in on the first seating. And that was, um, it was a lot to, to deal with. Um, I actually, before that, would spend a fair amount of time um, in the dining room accessible to guests that wanted to say anything to me or meet me or whatever. And I had to stop doing it after Top Chef oh, wow. Masters because um, I just didn't, I, I would, it would cost too much. The servers would say, stay out of the dining room. It's too, it's too disruptive. We can't you get, get our- like, You get the bus boys yelling at you. Yeah, everybody. Everybody was like, stay out. So I finally had to stay out of the dining rooms. And I've now only in the last year gone back into the dining dining rooms oh, more. Crazy. It took that long for it to kind of settle down. But talk about, talk about TV, how yeah. important or not important TV is into the, the life of a chef these days. Because you started early, back in 78, 79 on PBS. I was, that was really early. Yeah, <laughs> was, like, we don't even talk, talk about, about that because I don't want <laughs> anybody to even know that those existed. There was a 26-part series for public television called Cooking Mexican. It was all done in a studio. Um, it wasn't the show I wanted to do, but it was the show I got a chance to but do. So I did. Because you didn't even have a restaurant at that point. So no. How, so how did you get that gig? 
you you won't believe this, but a small town public television station decided that they wanted to do, they were surrounded by all of these fields and migrant workers came in and some of the people from Mexico had settled in the community and they wanted to do an outreach program from their small little station to say, get to know our new neighbors. And they hired this Mexican woman to teach these classes on, and she flaked out at the last second and they actually put an ad in the newspaper saying that they wanted a host for a Mexican cooking show. <laughs> and I went and applied. What town was this? It was in Bowling Green, Ohio. Wow. I was living in Ann Arbor. I was going to graduate school. And a friend of mine in Toledo saw this ad in the Toledo Blade and sent it to me and said, you should go and apply for this. Because I was teaching Mexican cooking classes. And I did. And I loved it. And so it just really stuck. Um, that is amazing. And then, and then you lived in Mexico for about six years with your yeah. wife, Deanne, 80, right. 86 or so. Um, yeah. That, and then I, we moved back to Chicago and, and settled here. This is where my wife is from. And we wanted to settle someplace that was a big city and we had some, some roots. So we settled here and opened in 87, but I had never worked in the restaurant world in Chicago before we opened. So wow. it was a little frightening because <laughs> I didn't know the, my way around the city very much in terms of restaurants and so forth. In terms of, uh, I mean, you have very much a presence in Mexico. You've been very recognized and saluted. But was it hard at first? Like, well, who's this white guy coming in here and trying to tell us how to cook or learn our cooking style? And, you know, did well, it take a while? Our, those are two two different yeah. things because yeah. um, I only went there as a student mm -hmm. and I wanted to learn things. And what I discovered early on in my um, investigation of Mexican cuisine was that if I went into, say, a marketplace where there's all these little fondas and they're making food and uh, very simple regional food, and I would go and say, "Do you, could you give me a recipe for that? Of course, the first, the first answer was no. I mean, that's like I'm not giving away my secrets. But if I went into there and I said... This is so delicious. Well, first, my my first thing is I ate a whole plate of whatever it was. The mm -hmm. whole, not just tasted, but I ate the whole thing. Then I would say to the cook, "This is the most delicious version of this I've ever tasted." do you put this or that in it? Or I would choose a technique and I say, do you roast the tomatillos or you boil them before? Because man, you got the absolute perfect flavor out of this. Bam, they would just open up because they knew that, first of all, I appreciated what they had. I wasn't asking for a recipe. I was only asking for them to teach me some of the details of their preparation. I already knew how to make the dish. It was clear because I was asking them very detailed questions about the preparation. And then they would start opening up to me. And sometimes they would sit down and write down on napkins, you know, no, no, here's your steps. This is what you got to do to make it right. Or here's the, the proportions that I use on that sauce. And they'd say for every pound of, or every kilo of tomatillos, uh, I will use one onion this size, you know, that kind of thing. And that was really where I learned how to cook. But I went in with a fair amount of knowledge to, to begin with. And then people were super generous. Julian, you've talked about how Chicago obviously has a huge Mexican population, but there's also a lot of great Mexican restaurants in town that are not of the profile of, of Rick's. And, and can you talk about that relationship between the, some of the smaller mom and pop places, Rick's restaurants? And yeah. Well, actually, Rick, I would love if you could weigh in on this because I've been trying to convince Adam and some of my other colleagues <laughs> at Bon Appetit that Chicago has really incredible Mexican food mm -hmm. and certain dishes here that you can, can't find in LA or other mm -hmm. places where people are always talking about how amazing their Mexican food is. Do you often go to Little Village or to these spots or are you more interested I'm, in 
the well, Rachel Well, I, I have to say, just in terms of my own eating out, I eat out one night a week, and that's it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so... Um, it's kind of hard for me. I eat 10 meals a week in my restaurant and I eat straight off the menu. Not, we don't make uh, family meals. So for, for us, we're all eating off the menu because I want all of our staff to be that in touch with what's going on in our menu. Mm-hmm. But I keep up with, uh, and actually I keep up with all these restaurants and very many of them are related to our restaurant because so many of the people that have come out of our restaurant have opened other restaurants, especially our Mexican staff. And huh. that's what I'm super excited about. I will say that I would put the Chicago Mexican restaurants up against the Mexican restaurants anywhere in the country. I think LA has a very specific style of Mexican food. And it's not like the Chicago style. Mm -hmm. I think that the Chicago style is much more sort of homey, and um, related to regional styles of cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, perhaps a bit closer to the roots. Um, the LA restaurants, I have a, uh, my, my gut tells me that they're a little bit um, more about, oh, look what we're doing. Well, I mean, it's sort of like LA. I mean, everything is sort of like bigger. <laughs> it's got to look good. It's got to look good. Yeah. And, and the Midwest, we're all very quiet and you know, we we just do our thing, and we are well, very glad you like it, and <laughs> that sort of stuff. And L.A. is just much showier than that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is some of that character in the L.A. food. It's all good. It's all good. It's just different. And I don't think you could really compare Mexican food in Chicago with Mexican food in L.A., but I would put the Chicago versions up against anything you can get in L.A., um, Me too, Adam. Yeah. All right. You're, the, the piece has been assigned. Um, <laughs> speaking of restaurants, you are in the midst of trying to open a new restaurant, a, a brewery <laughs> I've been so, reading. Thank yes. you so very much. Um, yeah, yes, we are trying to. Uh, it was supposed to open just about right now, and now it won't open until next spring. Uh, loads of struggles with not only permitting, but also um, it's in a very old building. I've only gone into old buildings, and you never know what you're going to get yeah. when you get in there. And and it's a, this brewer, one, a, a brewery, Cruz Blanca is his name? Is well, that correct, we have or? two. There's mm. two restaurants okay. side by side. Um, or there's a brew pub and a restaurant side by side. And the brew pub is going to have very, very simple fare. And it's really focused on the beers that we're going to be brewing there that you'll be able to get in all of our restaurants. Um, and then we're also going to have a restaurant next door, which I haven't announced yet what exactly it's going to be. But it's a very unique concept. And I think it's going to be not only perfect for Chicago, but I think everybody around the, the country is going to want to come and see what we're doing there. Before we get to our lightning round, I'm really going to put you on the spot. This is the one question I'm most fascinated by. It wasn't. I'm a big sports guy. Not until this last year did I realize that Skip Bayless, ESPN's own very opinionated uh, sports commentator, is your brother. That blew. I mean, my my head literally exploded. Now he is a guy who does not shy from controversy. No, it's like I don't even. Are we really brothers? I mean, (laughs) my mother says that we are brothers. Yes, you, 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 you want to see the birth certificate. So he, yes. he hosts a show with the also opinionated Stephen A. Smith uh, called First Take on ESPN. And and Skip is known for just taking a stand, not back, backing down. And, and I mean, listen, it's entertainment. And he's sort of, right. he's, he's looking for a bit of controversy. And that's why you watch TV. Was he that way growing up? Or what was he What was he like as, as a kid? I was, I was in the theater department. He was on the debate team. <laughs> okay, so that's the, we come from a family 
Our mother had her own television show and did lots of public speaking and all that. So she wanted to make sure that growing up, we could get in front of a group and do all kinds of things. So so we were taken to these, this, what she called speech lessons from the time that we were really wow. little. And we had to present things and read poems and memorize poems and do different things in front of groups. And um, so you can sort of see that we come from that same background. But he always went over into the the debate side of things, <laughs> and he wanted to win. And you know, and when you do debate stuff, you don't even know what side of the, yeah. the you just want to win. You're going to be. You just want to win. And I think that that has carried through so much in his career because you could, I think, give him either side of any of those topics that he's working on, and he will go in there and defend his point of view to the very last little bit. Um, I'm kind of the guy that wants you to come out with a wondrous feel for <laughs> what what has happened to you. What whether it's a meal or coming to Casca Bell or, or whatever it or might be. Or going to yoga together on or, a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. That's, I like that too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But now, but now we're going to have a little controversy. All right. Lightning round. Mm-hmm. Either or questions. You have to pick one. Okay. All right. Carne asada or carnitas? Carne asada. Really? I don't know why I said that, but you tell me to just respond. <laughs> well, okay. So I did. Yeah. I, I guess I need beef right now. Okay. There you go. I'm more of a carnitas guy. Like the crispy pork. <laughs> Fish tacos, grilled or fried? Oh, fried. Fried. Is that where? Where did the what is the, the sort of the origin of the fried fish taco? Oh, Ensenada. Ensenada. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where you go. You go to El Phoenix, or there's a couple of other ones that are just as good, uh, but that's the really famous one there, and it's incredible. And in Ensenada, did they come on corn or flour tortillas? Corn. Corn. Okay. Cool. Uh, black or pinto? Uh, black. Really. Yeah, wow. I I, don't know I grew if we up can hang out. I'm like a I pinto carnitas guy. <laughs> I want some black beans with my carne asada, please. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good one. Mezcal or tequila? Mezcal. Wow, that was a quick one. Did, I'm super did, into mezcal. Did you come around later in life to mezcal? No, 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 no. Actually, when I lived in Mexico, one of the places I lived was in a small village up in the highlands of Guerrero. And that village had did communal mezcal making. And everybody would get together and make the mezcal for the year, divide it up to all the families. It was a small town. And then that was what you had for all your fiestas and special occasions and everything. And so I actually got deeper into mezcal before, before I really even knew a lot of the details of tequila. Oh, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Deep dish pizza or Chicago style hot dog? <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to answer, Rick. Okay, you okay. got to answer. Um, uh, hot dog. What do you what do you like on your hot dog? If you do the the whole only Chicago just thing. the whole Chicago thing. Just, Which explain to our listeners who have never had no, a Chicago dog. Kramer, you explain <laughs> to it because I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up and I'm gonna forget something and, and the, then you're I'll, gonna be quoted I'll forget on the, the celery salt or the neon green relish. Okay, or, key components. Hopefully, I won't mess this up in the presence of Rick Bayless. Are poppy seed bun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, Vienna beef natural casing hot dog. Yes. Mustard. Yes. What kind of but mustard? It's got to be the right kind of mustard. Yeah, what kind of mustard typically? It's like the, the French's style mustard with the turmeric in it. Okay. It's wow. like you're well mustard. Well. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, compared to a bar. Yeah. Um, finely chopped onions. Yeah. Neon green relish. Right. Uh, sport peppers. Yes. What, of, wait, what kind of peppers? Sport peppers, just little tiny, they're the little pointy hot peppers. That's a made up word, sports peppers. Um, well, I guess they- You don't get those come, from Mexico. They're, they're, <laughs> they come from the bolts or something. I don't they're know. very high end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can only they're find them high, in yeah. Chicago. Yes. Um, slice of pickle, mm-hmm. 
slice of tomato, mm-hmm. dusting of celery salt. Yes. Cucumber. Cucumber? Yes. No. No. No, no it's oh, the it's wow. this. I thought there was a cucumber. No, no, no. It's the yeah. the the spear of pickle. Okay. Oh, there which you go. Is, which is a cucumber. A cucumber. Back in the and day. And so so at one point in its life was all that relishy stuff that's yeah, on there. Exactly. It's that not neon green Before color. It, outer space. it was born yes. that way. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Senor Rick Bayless, thank you so much for oh joining us. Oh, my gosh, this has been so much fun. This is thank awesome. you for inviting me. Kramer, thanks for joining on. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rapport. Tune in next time. This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.